Weekend mornings with Glenn Van Zutphen. Replay from Money FM 89.3. Steve Oaken joins me in the studio for our International News Weekend Review. We are going to talk about Hong Kong. Uh, new level of craziness, I think, uh, in the last week, especially, and, and maybe last couple of weeks. Petrol bombs being hurled, um, uh, things being just torn up at the universities especially over in Kowloon. What's your read? You were there uh, last week. What's your read on what's happening, what our latest level of craziness is? Well, I mean, it's really escalating. Mm-hmm. And it used to be that, you know, if you're going to go to Hong Kong from Singapore or wherever, just, you know, you, you don't go up on the weekend. You go up Monday morning. Everything will be fine. All the protests. Oh, wait, uh, it used to be you go be. for the weekend. Well, well, right, right. In the old, right. Well, going back when we first back got Back in the here, old right? days. The old yeah, where does, where does history start, yeah, right? right. Uh, now, <laughs> don't go on the weekend. Now it's all the time. And or the, the pro- potential for violence. Violence is anytime. Right? A- anytime. And even if it's not violence, it could still be that roads are shut down, the, the mm. MRT is shut down. Uh, and so no one really knows where this is going. And, and, you know, as I was talking to a lot of different people in Hong Kong um, and seeing, you know, the protests for myself, the historical analogy people are now giving is, is to the troubles in Ireland where there is no end in sight. Um, the protesters not going to go away. They are really entrenched with their five demands. It's the Hong Kong government and, you know, the Chinese government through the Hong Kong government are not going to give in to those five demands. And so that mm. this just goes on and on and on, maybe at not this level of intensity, but but not to die out either. Unbelievable. And uh, catapults, I think, are the, one of the latest oh. things, firing uh, firebombs with catapults. And the, bows and arrows, remember, in medieval and, times and uh, with what arrows. the students are using. And interestingly, you know, just the other day, just yesterday, the, the PLA soldiers garrisoned in central Hong Kong at, at uh, Tamar came out to help pick up the roads, basically. And this has been a problem because some of the main arteries there have been shut down for days because of all the trash and all the, uh, you know, bricks and rocks and stuff in the middle of the roadways. They haven't been able to clean them up. So the soldiers came out in shorts and T-shirts, not in their uniforms, and helped regular citizens picking up and cleaning up, which I think at a certain level was making people happy that they were getting help to get the roads cleared. But on another level, there's this whole, uh uh-oh, they're out of the barracks, which they have stayed in for five months, basically, during these uh, protests. And that's what, you know, what I saw when I was walking, you know, on Queens Road Central is that the the protesters would would throw the bricks into the street to shut down the street so that you would have the, you know, the vehicles blocked and and you come to a standstill in the financial Mm -hmm. district. But then you had some citizens would be picking up the bricks and throwing them back onto the sidewalk. And then the protesters would be going back and forth. And so you could see where that could get dangerous. You know, all of a sudden the bricks aren't just coming at well, your a feet. gentleman was killed it, the other, it, just the other day, right? Hit, hit in the head with a brick. Right. And yeah. so, you're, you know, you're getting a little a little frightening. And now what you see happening is, again, this gets into that historical alignment. You now have the military coming in in, a, in the least threatening way possible, you know, shorts and basketball jerseys, but picking up those bricks at where you had a couple individual citizens doing it. Now it's in an organized way. And so it is an escalation on both sides of the confrontation. Politically speaking, is there a winner or a loser? And, and, and the Hong Kong government said that they did not ask for the help. The, the PLA uh, soldiers came out and did it on their own as a community, you know, goodwill gesture, as they as they said. Does Beijing get points credit for this in a way that, you know, very restrained, no military action, but just trying to help clean up and keep things going? Or is it, uh-oh, they're now on the streets 
even though they're in their shorts and jerseys. I, I think it's more the the a little bit more of the former that that this is going to play out over a longer period of time, that they're not going to be a negotiated settlement for a couple reasons. One, the, the government's not going to do that. They're not going to have free and open voting and, and full democracy independent of, of the mainland in Hong Kong. But then again, at the same time, China is not going to come in and impose martial law. And so you have, you know, this middle ground that's going to, you know, play out um, and you're going to get some violence from Hopefully not from both sides. You're certainly getting you're getting it now. Some some violence from both sides as they continue to try and figure out what the status quo is going to be. And it seems that both sides are going to play the long game. That protesters are going to want to you know say we can outlast the government. We're not going anywhere. And that the you know Chinese government is saying you know you know one country two systems is not going anywhere. Yeah, interesting story today in the Straits Times, uh, page A10. Some Singapore firms are shelving Hong Kong plans, but many Singapore businesses and citizens uh, living there are saying they're not abandoning the city yet. So, we're, you know, we're starting to see, you know, the, the cracks in the wall, I guess you would say, um, business in a business sense. There, there has not been a business sentiment survey recently. The American Chamber of Commerce had one uh, several months ago, and I think it's probably ready, in my opinion, for another one. Uh, to see where exactly businesses are in terms of staying, leaving, repositioning staff. Well, you know, we're exactly, you know, the, the, that AmCham, which obviously we're both very active members of AmCham Singapore. And I think that survey still holds for now, which is if you are thinking of going to Hong Kong and you're debating between Hong Kong and Singapore or Hong Kong and elsewhere – you're not going to Hong Kong now. So if you don't have investment there, you're going to come here, hmm. right, to Singapore, or you may go to a, a, a third country, but this would be most likely. Or, you know, there was one company, a, a U.S. multinational, um, you know, who told us that they were thinking of moving a function to Hong Kong from mm -hmm. Singapore because they wanted to be closer to China, and they decided not to. So they kept them in Singapore, which is exactly what that headline is. But we don't know yet of any Hong Kong based companies or firms that have people in Hong Kong who are moving them out. Mm. They're taking a wait-and-see approach. So I think we, we probably timely for another survey in another maybe three months or so as we, as we see this play out to see if you're going to see that exodus. But right now, if the scale, if you're weighing between Hong Kong and Singapore and you're not in either country yet, the scale's now tipping much more towards Singapore. It's easy to imagine that this will go on through the holidays into the front uh, part of 2020, maybe in through Chinese New Year. And again, we will have lost another three or four months to this. Hong Kong's already in you know recession compared to last year and all that. What do you when you're talking to business, your clients there, your consulting clients? What are you advising them to do? I mean, just hold their hands and sit and wait. Or I mean, business can't do that forever, especially when you're going across now going across fiscal years, right? And what's going to become even a tougher balancing act is what is the U.S. going to do? Is the U.S. government, right, is the Congress going to make it more restrictive to do business in Hong Kong? Mm -hmm. If you are a U.S. business, you are expected more to be, to use U.S. term, woke, right? Mm. You're expected to take positions on climate change, on Me Too, on income inequality. So now all of a sudden, if you're taking all those positions because you're much more of a socially conscious business, what happens when 
Somebody says, well, what are you going to do in Hong Kong? Do you stand with the Hong Kong protesters? And how do you balance that? The NBA we just saw how went that, through yeah, that. We saw how that went for the NBA, <laughs> yeah. not very well. <laughs> and, and Nike, you know, was called yeah. out in, you know, in Vice President Pence's speech. So that is actually a, a real concern for businesses now. How are you going to balance being socially aware, being woke, attracting millennials, but then you take no position on Hong Kong? I don't know how, how businesses are going to, to try and do that balancing. Are you polishing your crystal ball here, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just telling companies it's a new world. It's stakeholder engagement at a whole different level now. Yeah. Um, and especially, you know, we won't go into too much weeds on U.S. politics, but what if Elizabeth Warren becomes president and she makes human rights a plank of her foreign policy, mm. which we have not seen in the U.S. government since Jimmy Carter was president? That leads to a a whole nother level mm. of, of U.S. government action and U.S. business action. It's a, It's a new world. Hey, since we're there right now, what are you? What are we? What's your latest uh, take on the uh, on the Democratic uh, primary season? Well, you know, the, the the Democrats still remain, you know, committed that they want to beat Trump. That they don't care who the nominee is, so long as that nominee is best positioned to beat Trump. And what you're seeing now is Joe Biden was thought to be hmm. that person. Now all of a sudden, you know, Mayor Pete, you know, Mayor Buttigieg from from Indiana, and South kind Bend, of surging ahead, surging ahead in Iowa by yeah. far. I mean, it's pretty remarkable. The poll that came out today had him at 25 percent in Iowa, which is a remarkable. Hmm number, clear front runner for him. And so you're getting a lot of angst in the Democratic Party because everyone thought Biden was a safe choice. But if Biden doesn't get the nomination, could a, you know, 37-year-old, you know, homosexual mayor from South Bend, Indiana beat Trump? People are worried about that. They're very worried that Warren, as, you know, progressive as she is, especially on taxes, they're worried that she can't beat Trump. So now you've got Mike Bloomberg saying he might jump into the race. You've got Deval Patrick saying he might jump into the race. Maybe you see one of those candidates who hasn't caught on, like Senator Booker or Senator Harris, be able to make the case that it should be them. So the Democratic Party, no surprise, uh, is panicking right now because that's what Democrats do. Will Rogers had, you know, back in the 20s, 30s, had a very famous saying. He said, I'm not a member of any organized political party. I'm a Democrat. <laughs> yeah, the famous uh, American humorist. <laughs> that uh, so many generations loved. He, he always did nail it, didn't he? He did. He said the right thing all the and time. And it's still true today. <laughs> On that point about uh, Mayor Pete or or whom, whomever else, isn't it really, though, about who is the person that, assuming they're relatively qualified across, and I, and I would say probably from what I've seen, most of the Democrats are have a level of qualification, whether or not you agree with their individual policies. When you look at Mayor Pete or whoever that nominee would be, you need to find somebody that's going to engage that three or five percent around the margin, right? Because the left is the left. They're going to vote for a left candidate. The right is the right. They're going to vote for Trump no matter what. You need those swing voters, right, which is, you know, five percent or something like that. Is if you think about it that way, Mayor Pete is very engaging with a lot of people, for example, and I think others could be as well. Does that change that calculation in your mind whether or not he could actually be viable? Well, and remember, the, an election it's, is a choice. 
And so the choice here is Trump versus the Democrats. So when you use the word qualified, will people see a 37-year-old you know, veteran mayor as being equally qualified as to a reality TV show host who one is term, a property one developer? One-term president. Probably, yeah. Right. Probably. Yeah. So, so versus Trump, Buttigieg may make that qualification where he might not have made it against somebody like Mike Pence. And so you, you, you keep that piece in mind. And then on the Democratic side, can he get the core Democrats to vote for him? And so if you think of the core Democrats— it's it's split into different groups. It's it's blue collar, you know, labor. It's African Americans, and it's young and millennials. And then it's kind of the highly educated globalists who are you know socially socially liberal. That's a very small part of the Democratic Party. No one's been able to get all four of those together yet. But if Buttigieg can pull those four together and he will seem equally qualified to Trump, then the question becomes, can he attract, and really the swing voters in this case are the suburban, white, college-educated women who normally vote Republican, but they don't like Trump where he is on you know, his, his miso- mm. misogyny. The tweet against the female Ukrainian U.S. ambassador to Ukraine is going to hurt him with them, where he stands on guns. We've just had our seventh shooting in this year, yeah, this mm. school year, it, 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 on guns. They don't like him on that, on what he's doing on, on guns. And so they could go for almost anybody. Mm. And so I do think the Democrats could be well positioned if they get somebody. Now, the question is, will those will those women go for Warren? I don't know. I mean, will those women go for Sanders, you know, who's so liberal? Don't know. And that's what's playing out in the Democratic Party. And that's why you've got Deval Patrick saying, I'm going to come in. And why you've got Mike Bloomberg saying, I might come in because I can win those voters for sure. How soon does Patrick or Bloomberg have to have to declare and start getting serious about this? Normally, it's way too late. Any other year, this would not work at all. But what, what their path to victory is that you see Buttigieg win Iowa, right? You see Warren win New Hampshire. You see Biden win South Carolina, you see You're talking the primaries, the primaries, right? right? Yeah. And you and you see, you know, you see Sanders or somebody else win Nevada, and so it's wide open going into what we call Super Tuesday, which is when you have you know a lot of states voting at once instead of being you know one at a time. And then Bloomberg says, "Look, I can come in, I can organize in all those states, I can attract people in all those states, I can compete in all those states because nobody has offices there; they're all mm. focused on those key countries, uh, those those key early primary states, mm. and then." Maybe it works. This wouldn't work any other year, but it could work against Trump and it could work because the Democrats don't have a clear front runner. Right well, now. and of course, Bloomberg has literally unlimited money to, to make that happen, to set up offices, to get, you know, ground workers in there. If you consider 53 billion to be unlimited. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be happy with just $1 billion. I don't know about you. Anyway, Steve Oaken, thank you so much for coming in today and, and talking with us about U.S. politics, Hong Kong stuff, and uh, always great to have you in with us. Always great to be with you, Glenn. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.